believe it was five years ago yesterday that he had open heart surgery and today he looked like he was about ready to sing a special for us so (laughs) God is good amen if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17 as we continue our journey in the gospel of Matthew from the, the time where Jesus finally told his disciples that they were heading to Jerusalem and what was going to happen there until we get to that very day. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, going from verse 1 through to verse 8 today. And as we did a, a few minutes ago, I'd like to do again, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this, it says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Please be seated. I may have very well asked this question before of you, but I'm going to ask it again. And that is, have you ever gotten really good advice, but did not follow through with it? You ever gotten some good advice? Maybe you didn't know it was good advice at the time. But then like when everything was said and done and and kind of all the consequences um, came to fruition, you realized that that somebody gave you some good advice and you just didn't take it. Maybe it was because um, you thought the person wasn't as smart as you and and that somehow you were going to be like the exception you know what I mean? Like somehow you thought that, 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 that you were going to kind of like, like outsmart the, the consequences and get around them. Maybe you were just so emotionally charged at the time that you just didn't even let it hit your brain. Like you were just so caught up in what was happening and the emotions around it that, that it didn't, no one could have told you anything and it would have really sank in because, because you were just so, so charged at the moment. Or maybe you just didn't like the advice. I mean, we have to be honest for a second. There are times in our lives where people give us advice and we just don't like it. I'll never forget, I had a, a sister that, that one time was, was kind of working through some stuff. And, and so she, she went to my wife first because people think my wife is nicer than me. And if you live with her, you know that's not true. And went to my wife and said, hey, what do you think about this? And, and, and my wife kind of gave her opinion, goes, but you should talk to Josh about it. And, and I'll never forget, it, it kind of came out after the fact, but they said, no, I don't want to ask Josh because I know what he's going to say and I don't want to hear it. 
It wasn't that it was the wrong advice. It was just that she didn't want that advice because she knew that if that was the right thing to do, she just didn't want to do it. And so she was looking for somebody, in fact, really looking for anybody that would give her different advice so that she could do that. So what about this? We flip the script there a little bit. Have you ever given someone good advice and that you knew it was good advice only to see them ignore it? Maybe even do the very opposite. Have you ever had that happen? First off, do you have kids? Raise your hand. Then the odds are the answer is yes. Amen? If you have kids, there's probably some point in your life where you looked at a kid and said, don't touch that. And they did this. I'll never, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a story. I'll never forget. I had one of my daughters. I won't say which one. She decided she was going to be a little openly defiant, which doesn't narrow it down for my daughters. And we were having that, we were having that meeting of the minds over dinner. And suddenly that child picked up her plate of spaghetti, held that plate out to the side, and I said, don't you drop that plate. And that child looked me dead in the eyes, turned that plate upside down, and dropped it onto the ground. She learned very quickly that she should have listened to my advice. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it? That's kind of a funny story. But it's not so funny when they're suddenly in their teenage years or in their 20s or maybe even in their 30s and you give them advice and, and you know because you've been there, right? You've been there and, and you, you've done that and you maybe, just maybe, you know a thing more a thing or two more than they do. And you give them the advice and they ignore the advice and then you have to watch as the whole outcome of this ignored advice begins to play out. As we continue down the road to Calvary, we come to probably one of the most amazing and inspiring events in the Gospel of Matthew, the Transfiguration. And within this passage, we see Jesus and His interaction with, with Peter and John and James. And in the midst of this, Peter, John, and James receive some really good advice. In fact, it's advice that should still matter to us today. God, the Father, speaks out from the heavens and He tells these men to listen to Jesus. And I want to unpack this command and, and this, we could say, this advice for just a moment within the context that we have so that we might understand it, that we might apply it, and maybe so that we might understand why we don't listen to Jesus. So let's get into this. Let's begin in verse 1. And as we begin our passage, we find Jesus taking James and John and Peter up onto a tall mountain. This is one of the really very few times that, that Jesus kind of selects out a very small group of people in the Gospels and pulls them out to, to kind of have a little bit more close interaction or, or to have some, some what we might say some more one-on-one -on -one time with them. Now, if you remember, Jesus has, has already been kind of helping them understand and, and to what is about to happen, and He is leading them to Jerusalem. 
In our passage last week, Jesus told them plainly that he was going to Jerusalem in order to suffer and be killed and be raised on the third day. We have to recognize that the disciples are about to go through a roller coaster of events. And we all get what that, that, that's like. Have you guys ever been on just kind of a, a roller coaster for maybe a week or a month? Maybe it's an emotional roller coaster. Maybe it's just your calendar is absolutely nuts. Maybe you have people traveling internationally and are about to have a wedding. Things could get a little wild, huh? We go through these things and we go through these emotional roller coasters. For Peter, James, and John at this moment, they have miracles. God heals people and all that stuff. And those are followed by intense opposition towards them. We have Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead only to then have the Sanhedrin want to kill them all. They walk into Jerusalem to the cheers and the, and, and, and the crowds on Palm Sunday only to see in a few days later the same Jesus that they cheered for, mocked, and ultimately crucified on Good Friday. And while these three have seen Jesus do amazing and wonderful things throughout his ministry, they still only really know Jesus as a man. See, the disciples, they had seen Jesus hungry. Matthew 4.2 says this. They had seen him thirsty. We see this in John 4.7. They had seen him tired in Matthew 8.24. They'd even seen him at a place where he was unable to perform miracles because of the unbelief of the people around them. We find this in Matthew 13, 58. And this is really the only Jesus that they've known. They've known Jesus, the man. And when everything starts to go down and and their whole world begins to go upside down, they are going to assume that their enemies were greater than Jesus. And sometimes I think that's where we unintentionally find ourselves as well. All of us understand what, what it's like to go through unbelievably difficult times. We understand what emotional roller coasters feel like, and I'm confident that most of us have wondered if we were going to make it through really hard times. But the question remains, what do we do when we find ourselves in unbelievably hard times, even times where we're not sure if there is an end to the chaos? And I think this is all tied up in what our perception of Jesus is when things go upside down. See, up until this point, the disciples saw Jesus as a man. And he was a man that could only be at certain places at certain times, could only do certain things at certain times. This was a Jesus who got tired, a Jesus who got hungry, a Jesus who was a lot like them. In fact, they may have said he's almost just like us. See, they had a Jesus at this point, and even though they believed he was something, they still saw Jesus as someone being very small. And I think sometimes we see Jesus as being small also. We look at Jesus with worldly eyes. And so we begin to think that he is far away. 
that he is disinterested in what we are going through, that he is limited on what he can and cannot do, that, that he has bigger things to worry about than what is happening in our lives. And so we kind of get this idea that, that we need to handle things on our own. We see Jesus as this guy in a white robe with a purple sash. but ultimately powerless to really make a difference in our lives. But that is not who He is. And see, what happens is, is we kind of get things mixed up when we think about Jesus and His humanity. And, and, And when we think about these things like, hey, Jesus experienced hunger. Hey, Jesus experienced thirst. Hey, Jesus, you know, he he got tired. And we think of those things. And when we look at them and when we look at them from the wrong perspective, we'll we'll think that we see a Jesus who is limited, who is powerless in certain circum certain circumstances. I'll get it there. I still don't think I got it right, but we're going to move on. But that's not who Jesus is at all. And the humanity of Jesus is not because Jesus is limited in any ways, but the humanity of Jesus reminds us that He knows us. In fact, He understands us better than we often get Him credit for. In fact, He understands us sometimes better than we really understand ourselves. To explain this, I want you to see what the author of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus' humanity should not lead us to abandon Him, but rather embolden our confidence that we belong to Him. And I want you to think about that as we go through hard times and we look at the the person of Jesus and who He was and what we read in the Scriptures, and we should not take the person of Jesus as a reason to say, okay, I'm going to go handle this myself but rather to take the person of Jesus and say, Jesus, you understand what I'm going through. You may understand it even better than I do because you don't give in to the sin. You don't give in to to the temptation. You, You resisted it and you were without sin. And so I need you right now. But it's in this passage... It's in this passage that that we get to see the Jesus who actually is. See, up until this point, Peter and John and James, who knew him better than anyone, had seen the miracles, had seen people raised from the dead, who'd seen all the cool things. They still only saw Jesus as a person, as a man. But in this moment, they get to see Jesus for who he actually is. And that's my really my hope for you today, is that you will begin to see Jesus for who he really is. Look again at verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared with them, talking to him. John had experienced this in this moment, and then he got to experience it again in a much fuller sense in Revelation chapter 1. I want you to hear this so that you really get a full picture of what Jesus is like today. 
In Revelation 1, starting in verse 12, I hear this. We read this. It says, Then I turned, this is John talking, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the picture that we should have in our mind when we think about who we sing praises to and who we worship and who we follow. This is the Jesus that we serve. He is the first and the last, the one who holds the stars in his hand, the one who was dead but now is alive forevermore, the one who has defeated death and hell. Look at this Jesus, then look at the problems that you are facing. See, Jesus is big. And he is powerful. And he is big enough to hold the very stars in his hand. And when Jesus is big in our lives, our problems become smaller. Now, I am not being dismissive of the things that you are going through in your life. And I am fully aware of what it feels like when you have an 800-pound gorilla on your chest and you just don't know how you're going to handle it. Look to Jesus. And in here we have the best news from this passage. As we look at both Matthew 17, 7 and look at Revelations 1, 17, I want you to see something about Jesus that makes all of this so amazing. See, in the midst of this, both in Matthew 17, 7 and Revelation 1, 17, both times we see Jesus Go up to those who have fell on the ground and he touches them and he tells them to not be afraid. Imagine for just a moment, whatever it is you have gone through, whatever it is that you are going through, whatever it is that you might go through in the, in the future, and imagine in those moments that you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulder and you are overwhelmed and you don't know what the future is going to bring and you are frustrated and you are scared and all of those things. And I want you to imagine this Jesus, the Jesus that shines like the sun, the Jesus that is pure as white, the, the Jesus that glows like burnished bronze, the Jesus that holds the world in his hand is the same Jesus that is going to put his hand on your shoulder, on your head, on your back and say, do not be afraid. Now there is only one reason why he can do that and that is because he has everything in control. We live in a crazy world, amen? 
Jesus is still in control. Things in your life aren't going the way you initially thought. Maybe Jesus is still in control. You may feel like your life has gone upside down and you may feel like you are a thousand miles away from Jesus. He is still in control. Whatever you are going through, turn to the Jesus who is. Turn to the glorified Jesus. Fall down before Him. Listen to Him when He says, do not be afraid. Amen. This leads us to the command that Jesus had in this passage. See, in the midst of all this, I love this because you have this moment and you suddenly you get the transfigured Jesus. And, and they are there and they are seeing this and they are amazed. And, and, and you have these three guys and they're getting to see Jesus for who he really is. The glorified, real, actual Jesus. And they're looking at him and still Peter has to open his stupid fat mouth. That's me. And he, and I get what's going on. See, what happens here is Peter and James and John are there and they're seeing the glorified Jesus and suddenly they're seeing Elijah and Moses. I have no idea how they knew it was Elijah and Moses. I don't know if Jesus told them later. Like it just probably looked like two Jewish guys. They didn't have name tags. But they see them and, and, and Peter, I think what he thought in this moment was, it's here! Jesus is about to do his thing. This is all Rome is in trouble. Because everybody's coming to this mountain and it's about to go down. And so Peter opens his mouth and he says, it is so good that we're here. Let us build a tabernacle for Elijah and for Moses and for you, Jesus. And and man, y'all can hang out here and do your thing. And they think, man, it's happening. And all that Peter did when he done opened his mouth was show that he still didn't know what was going on. Because in one sense, what we see from this is he thinks Elijah and Moses and Jesus are all in the same playing field. Moses was important, but he was a man. Elijah was important, but he was a man. And now Jesus is important. And I think he's tipping his hat, but I still think you're just a man. I think you're the Christ, but I still think you're just a man. And so we see that, that he's missed the point yet again. But then this cloud overshadows them. And the glory of God, the same glory that filled the temple in Solomon's day, hid them, and the voice of God spoke through this cloud. This is one of those times in the Bible where I really truly believe that we see all three persons of God, all, all three persons of the Trinity in one moment. And so we have God the Father, which is the voice that we hear. We have God the Son, who is Jesus, who is there in His glorified state. And we have God the Spirit in this cloud that envelops them. And God speaks to these men. And I want you to take special note of what He says to them, because some of it He said before. But then He says something else. Going back to verse 5, it says, And while He was still speaking a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, where have we heard that before? The baptism. We've heard it from the baptism. 
And so they, they, and I don't know if these guys had heard it, but this is something, this is not new information for us. This is something that, that, that God has said before. He said it to John at the baptism, but then he goes one step further. And he says this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, this is an important moment. And God is giving them a command that they really need to listen to. Now, the word listen in our passage really has a couple of meanings and all of them apply in this moment. God is telling them to hear, to hear what he is saying, to hear the words of Jesus. But to go beyond that, he's also calling them to believe. And, not to, and to believe that Jesus' words are true, that there's an idea here of listening to him says, hey, he is giving you the truth. He also tells them through this word to listen to him, to obey the commands that Jesus has given them. See, if they would listen to Jesus and what he is telling them, especially right now. Now remember, we're just, we're literally just days away from the crucifixion and, and just a few days prior, he has told them what's going to happen, right? And God is telling them, listen, you need to listen to what Jesus is saying because he is telling you what is about to go down and you are not going to understand it unless you listen to him. In fact, we can fast forward all the way to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, in verse 5, we read this. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Jesus is telling them what is going to happen and what they should do about it. They just have to listen. They need to hear, they need to believe, and they need to obey. If Peter, James, and John had listened to Jesus, then the events of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, the sorrow and the loneliness of Saturday would have been much different if they would have heard what he said, if they would have believed that Jesus said it has to happen this way. In fact, we can even look at the Gospel of Luke and even when the resurrected Jesus spoke to the two men on the way to Emmaus, he said, does the, the Scriptures not say that it had to happen this way, that it was necessary that the Son of Man would be betrayed and be killed and raised on the third day? If they would have listened They might have, at the very least, had a very different outlook on things as they happened. And I think this is true for us today as well. Makes you wonder how much stress and worry we could avoid if we would just listen to God. How many consequences for our sin or our lack of faith might be escaped if we would just listen to the words of Jesus Makes you wonder how much more powerful our witness might be if we would just listen to the Spirit. How are you doing when it comes to listening to God? Do you hear all the stories? 
Do you know your Bible? Maybe have a few verses memorized or can at least give a paraphrase of. But they don't really change how much you live or how you do live. Do you say that you hear, believe, and obey Jesus, but when things get tough, you turn back to the ways of this world? Do you come to church on the regular, but if you are really honest with yourself, you have no idea what this book says? See, that's what happened to me. When I was in college, I rededicated my life to Jesus. And I found, suddenly found myself in a teaching position in the church and, and nothing like standing up in front of a bunch of sophomore boys to realize you don't know nothing. And I suddenly realized that despite the fact I was 20 years old, almost 21 years old, that I and had been in church my whole life and should have known these things, I didn't. Because the only Bible I ever really got was the stuff that people had spoon-fed me. What about you? When you look at your life and the fruit of your life, is it coming from the flesh? Or is it coming from the Word? Do you trust Jesus when the chips are down? Do you do what Jesus has called us to do even when it's hard or looks crazy? If suddenly Jesus was no longer a part of your life, would the only thing that really changed be where you spend your Sunday mornings? Or do you listen to Jesus? Do you open up His Word and do you know Him through His Word? Do you not only open it up and listen to the words of Jesus, but do you, do you also believe that, that Jesus has your best interests at heart? That He wants what's best for you and He, being the author and perfecter of our faith, being the one who created and brought all things into existence for His glory, might know a thing or two more than you do. Do you trust Him? And in trusting Him, do you obey Him? Do you actually put into action what you know and what you believe? My call to you today is the same as God's command that we find to these three disciples. Listen to Jesus. Open this book. Hear his words. Believe that his promises are true. And obey his commands that you may live. And live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, I think every single one of us has to admit that on some level we could do better. And that includes me. As I stress and I fret, as I frantically go about my days and my weeks, as I try to, in the power of my own stubbornness, try to put a gallon of milk into an eight-ounce glass, I need to listen to the words of Jesus. 
you may be here and, and, and the Lord challenges you and, and, and the enemy attacks you in different ways. And I want to challenge you today. Are you listening to Jesus? Who are you listening to? Maybe you're here today and, and, and you've never really given your life to Jesus because you've never really believed, you've never really trusted Him, you've never really been obedient to Him in any way, shape, or form, that, that He has never really been the Lord of your life. We would challenge you today, for today, may the first day be, be the first day that you cry out to Jesus, that you listen to Jesus. And that you surrender your life to him in saving faith. See, we do not serve just a man. Jesus is not small. He is not just a good teacher who has some good moral ideas. But we serve a risen Savior who is God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who died and yet will live forevermore. And he holds the very world in his hand and it has been created for his glory, which means you have been created for his glory. And he will show you what it means to live for him if you will listen. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you so much for today. God, we praise you that we do not serve a, a small God or a small man. But God, you have revealed yourself to, to James and John and Peter, and you have revealed yourself to us as well. And God, we recognize that we serve a big and powerful God, an almighty God. And because we serve a living God, we know we do not need to fear this world. That we do not need to fear the things of this world, Lord. We do not need to worry or fret. But God, we need to listen to you. We need to open up our word. We need to trust you. And we need to obey you. God, I pray. If there's anyone here in this house today that needs to do that, and I think we all need to do that, Lord, I pray that they would fall down before you and they would confess their sin, they would confess the times that, that, that you have become small in their mind and small in their life, Lord, and I pray that they would cry out to you and that you would just forgive them their sin, that you would cleanse them from all unrighteousness, and that, God, you would, would begin to show them what it means to really follow you. Lord, I know for some of us in this room that we are, are still in that place where we are dead in our sins and we are far from you and that we really need to, to come to you for the first time, trusting you and believing that, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave three days later, and that we can have new life in him. And that we would, would declare him. We would confess him as Lord of our life. And we would say, I'm going to start obeying. God, if there's anyone in the room like that, Lord, I pray that you would do a work on their heart. And God, they would talk to whoever they need to talk to so they might know you. 
God, we praise you that you are a big God. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to see just how big you are so that we can start to see how small our problems might be. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.